Are you glad you're here today? Well, so am I. Yeah, it's a great day. And have you gotten enough warmth? I mean, it came and now we're going, okay, whoa, yeah, a little, little, little hot. Yeah, but so that, that's been good. We're in a series, James, faith that walks, faith that shows up in our lives. We kicked that off last Sunday and we're going to continue that today. And as we get into that, I, I want us to think about our lives sort of like the bump that was up there where we're kind of walking along there on a, a reet or a, a knife edge, and it seems like we can stray one way or the other and, and kind of disaster. And that's, that's a little bit how the Christian life is when it comes to temptation and sin in our life. I mean, I can't tell you after 35 years maybe of, of counseling uh, how many times I've heard people where they have been in a situation, been tempted to do the wrong thing, have followed that course of action, and then just the misery, the destruction, the wreckage that shows up in their lives, their relationships, their families. And how do we avoid that? James is a super practical book that shows us how to live the Christian life. It's short. It's only five chapters. And uh, teaches us. It's written in a Hebrew style of the Proverbs, the wisdom literature, and it's just real down-to-earth, practical ways to live our lives, how to live out the Christian life. Now, Tim kicked us off last Sunday, and he talked about trials, situations that, that believers find themselves in, and how we endure through them with God. And then next in his book, James shifts a little bit to temptations. And what's kind of interesting that you don't really notice in the English is that the word for trials and the word for temptation is actually the same word, but the context means a completely different thing. And so we're looking at this, trials and temptations, trials from the outside, but then temptation, he switches to talk about the internal. And that's what we'll be focused on this morning. As he opens his book, he talks about the external, then the internal, and uh, he deals with these inside of us temptations that can bring sin and destruction to our lives. And by the way, if you're sitting here and say, well, you know, I don't really struggle that much with sin. You know, my life is pretty, pretty normal and all that. Well, if you're thinking that, you've become calloused to sin in your life to where you're not even recognizing it. Because the normal path the Christian takes is, is once that we've discovered truth, kind of what we talk about here all the time, and then decided on Jesus, then we demonstrate change in our life. And that's when we're realizing, hey, there's a different way that God wants us to live. And we start incorporating that into our life and then deploy for others. But what happens is a lot of times the big obvious sins, we sort of deal with those, those wrong things that we're doing that are hurting other people, and we deal with that first, and then we think we're good and we move on and we're feeling good about life, but we still have internal sins sometimes, or, or even our thought life, our private life that sometimes is still wrong, or we're still hurting people just in a non-obvious, not as obvious way. And so we want to look at this. We all struggle with sin. We all have sin in our life that we have to deal with. And uh, we sin when we yield to temptation to follow wrong desires, whether in thought or action. 
That's what sin is. So what James is going to tell us, super practical, he's going to say, hey, how do we make sure temptation does not ruin our lives? Because we see it happening all over. How do we make sure as believers temptation doesn't ruin our lives? And really there's three steps to this, and here's the first one. We need to realize the source of our temptation. Realize the source of our temptation. Temptation does not come from God, not in the sense we're talking about here. Um, Temptation is not from God, and that's how he opens up this section of his book. We'll start in verse 12. Tim left off in, in 11, so we're in verse 12 of James 1. It says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let, and here's the source part. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone. So first thing James lays out for us is we are not tempted by God. God doesn't tempt us. So when we don't persevere under trial, when we're under difficult circumstances or temptation, and then we fall, a lot of times that can cause us to look around and sort of wonder, whose fault is this? You know, why, 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 why did I mess up? And we tend to look at other people. But here he's telling us God doesn't tempt to do evil because it's contrary to his character. Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't allow us to be in situations where we're tempted. As a matter of fact, this is what James is saying. Well, Paul says it another way, the same thing, in, when he writes the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as common to man. That is saying, sometimes we feel like, wow, I've been tempted. This is more tempting to me than anybody else has ever experienced. Wow, I must be different. I must be kind of a different level, or I must be really susceptible, or I'm, you know, I'm struggling more than most people. No, Paul's saying, nope. Same temptation. You know, there's different temptations, but they're all the same. That really hasn't changed. You know, you're not unique. Then he continues, and God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you'll be able to endure it. He's saying, not only does God not tempt us in the sense of leading us to do evil, God will not even allow us as a believer to be in a situation that is beyond our ability with God's help to resist. Does that make sense? We can never say, oh, there's nothing I can do. God's promising that we, he will never allow us to be tempted to the point where with God's help we can't resist. That's what he's telling us. And so the problem is we, we want to blame others. We're in a culture that just tends to blame other people. You know, it's somebody else's fault. If, if we have an issue, then there's something's wrong. And, and, of course, that allows us to avoid responsibility. And, of course, politicians feed on this by creating victim classes of people that point the finger at other classes of people, you know, and they just use that for political power. But today, people accuse, you know, other groups. By the way, this is the exact same thing that happened in Nazi Germany, 
where a leader rose up and said, hey, all of our problems are because of those people. You know, and then that's how everything started. It's, it's the same stuff. So many, we get this, human nature, many try to escape responsibility by claiming, oh, I'm a victim. It's victim status. And we blame others for our sin. And that, I think, situation is why people in our culture today are so quick to blame God. Oh, well, I fell. I did this wrong. Something bad. Well, that's God's fault. No. James is saying it's not God's fault. He's warning us, don't ever blame God. Why? Because the source of our temptation, James says, is internal. It's inside of us. We are responsible for our desires. We are responsible for our desires. And a lot of times if we over-desire things, it's because we've stoked that. We've fed that. We're responsible. And that, he continues in verse 14. And this is where he says the source. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lusts. And that lust is uh, it's sexual imagery, imagery, but it's not just only talking about sexual sin. He's talking about all the sin. Strong desire. Lust is how you can... Uh, Define that word. And, and here's the deal. Here's the hard, you want the hard, cold truth? It's just, we only sin for one reason. Anytime we sin, we only sin for one, we only do wrong things for one reason. Because we want to. It's because we want, there's a desire inside of us that we think will be satisfied with that sin. We desire to sin. And we need to make sure that we're not mistaking the circumstance surrounding sin for the source of the sin. The circumstance is the situation, but the source is inside of us, our own desires. So, by the way, there was one time that it wasn't that way. All the way back to creation, the Garden of Eden, you have Adam and Eve. God creates this beautiful garden. It's everything they need, all these different trees that are good to look at, they're good to eat. Every need is met. And then God does something that sort of blows our mind a little bit. He plants one tree in the middle of the garden. So you have all these trees, but he plants one tree that looks good, just one, and then he has one rule. He says, okay, you have the entire garden, just one rule, don't eat of that tree. Don't eat of that one tree. The difference then is that, so that's temptation. So by the way, that is a test, that is a trial, that is a situation that God allowed, I mean, he created it, to say, here's a test for you to follow me. Just don't eat from this one tree. Well, then what happens? Satan comes, interacts with Adam and Eve, and convinces them, hey, don't trust God on this. Here's the way it is. This is going to help you. You're going to like this. You're going to know good and evil. You're going to be like God if you do this. So then they, follow, they sin. They then do what God said not to do. And when they did that, that brought sin into their life. By the way, and that same sin, a sin nature, 
we all now have. But they fell without it. So that's when it was all pretty much external, but something was working in there. But now with a sin nature, our desires are internal. We want it. We, we desire. And when we desire like that, that brings issues. And so this word lust, it can, it can uh, say desire or passionate longing. We have these desires, and they're not all bad. Some religions, you know, we all have to deal with this. Some religions would say, hey, all passions are bad. Eastern religions, for example, they say, what you need to do to be more like God is you just remove yourself from all passion. You don't get caught up in anything. You don't get too attached to anything. You just live this stoic, sort of separated life. You don't get excited about anything. That's the way. But that's not what God's saying. God's saying there are good things to be passionate about. God wants us to live passionate lives. And so, well, where's the line in all of that? Well, see, God teaches there are good passions. Just everyday things like eating. Who likes to eat? You know, if you've been around our pastors at all, we like to eat. You know, we love to eat. Well, eating is good. That's a good passion. But then if we overeat, if we eat too much, if we take that too far, it can become gluttony and it can become bad. It can become a sin. It can become wrong for us. If all of a sudden the, the good desire to eat becomes way too important, more important than God, more important than other things, then it gets out of whack and all of a sudden that turns into a sin at that point. Rest. Rest is a good desire. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But too much rest, desiring that too much, can, can produce laziness. Laziness is wrong, God says. Or our uh, physical relationships, our sex lives. You know, God's saying, hey, this physical relationship is something God created for us. It's a very good, good thing. But he says this needs to happen within the context of marriage only, one man for one woman, marriage. And any time we indulge in sexual behavior outside of that marriage, then God says that's wrong, and that leads to problems and destruction in our life. And so all these things, see, the problem is when we try to satisfy our desires outside or beyond the boundaries of God's will. So that's how we know. Eating good, gluttony bad. Rest good, laziness sin. You know, all that stuff. Wrong desires, he's telling us also, that they're powerful. And then he uses this imagery from trapping and fishing. So kind of hunting, fishing, kind of an imagery. The first one, he says, is being carried away or dragged away. And this, when this is written in Greek, what throws, what would come to everybody's mind is when you pull an animal or you entice an animal or grab hold of an animal and pull it out of its den, pull, pull it out of its protected environment where it can be attacked and killed. It's dragged away. That's what he's saying. That's the picture that he's using there. And when we give in to these desires that are contrary to God's word, it draws us out of a place of shelter under his authority and it unleashes sort of a destructive force 
in our life. Now, God allows us to be in circumstances where we're tempted. God allows that. As a matter of fact, if we get through those circumstances without following up on that temptation, without sinning, then we pass the test. Then we we endure. Then we persevere. Then we become more like Jesus. Then we become stronger in our faith because we've been through that test, that trial. But on the other hand, because of wrong choices, if we do the wrong thing, then that testing that God meant for good, that circumstance that God allowed in your life that could build you to be stronger, all of a sudden that leads to sin and what God meant for good could lead to sin in our life. So that's the first thing. After we realize the source of temptation, then there's a second step. And that is that we resist the course of temptation. And by course of temptation, I want to talk about the path, sort of how it breaks down in our life. What happens after what that brings sin into us. And we have to resist this course. The responsibility for sins on us because of the evil impulses inside of us, and we all have them. And then those wrong impulses can start like a battle. So because of those wrong impulses, temptation can start a battle inside of us that leads to a course of action. Here's the way he says it, backing up to to verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. We tend to think of sin or doing something wrong as a single act. But James here is describing it sort of as a process. Um, And the battleground begins in our mind. And he describes it this way in the next verse. Then when lust has conceived, when this desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth Death. So when he says enticed, I have a, a, little, a little aid here. So when he says enticed, he's using, the word he's using is everybody's thinking of fishing. So he's, he's using like a fishing lure. That's what he's saying for enticed. So everybody has this mind that James is talking to of a lure in front of fish. So here they are. And so So he's got the, the lure, the fish, they're just kind of, you know, they're, they're just hanging out, you know, and, and then all of a sudden something comes by, right? And then it's this big juicy, I don't know if you can see this. Can you see this? I mean, it's not very big, right? Yeah, that's like a, it's like a grasshopper, you know, a juicy, juicy grasshopper. So the fish, it's minding its own business, doing its own thing, and then all of a sudden, this bait comes by, this nice, juicy, be careful down there in the front row. Watch your kids, protect your eyes. If you have sunglasses, now's the time. All right, so these nice, juicy bait, and then boom, you know, it just lands there. And then it floats right by. You're not doing anything. You're minding your own business. And then here comes the temptation, just right in front of us. You know, boom, it's there. You didn't go out for it. It's just in front of you. To this point, that is not sin. 
And then you see the bait and you think, wow, that looks good. At that fleeting moment, that's not sin. That's temptation. But right after that, the next thought in your mind, that's where you have to be careful. Because you can either resist it or you can indulge it. And so you resist it by going, no, no, I'm not going to do that. And the way we do that, the way we should do it as believers is we should know, hey, God has something better for me. As good as this looks, as juicy as this looks, if I know God's word and God's saying no, then I know God has something better for me because God is not withholding good from me. God is telling me how to live life to its fullest. And so I pass on the bait because I trust God that God has something better for me. That's resisting. You haven't sinned. You saw it. It looked good. But you said, no, that's not God's plan. And you resist. But if you don't resist, you start doing this. That looks good. And then you focus on it. When you focus on it, here's what happens in the human mind. We paint the temptation in more vivid colors than it actually is in. Fantasy exceeds reality. We make it, we build it up in our mind better than, instead of like just this grasshopper here, it's like a T-bone steak flopping around. We build it up in our mind beyond what it actually is. That's our human nature. And as soon as we start doing that, we paint it in more vivid colors, then we start trying to figure out how to acquire it, how we can have that, even though we know that's not God's plan for us, that's not God's best for us. As soon as we're doing that, we're sinning in our mind before we even take an action. And then we follow through to take action. That just brings even more consequences into our life. But the sin starts in our minds. That's the course of temptation and sin in our life. And when confronted with temptation, we have this choice. We can see it and recognize, wow, that looks appealing. Then we have this choice right at that moment in our minds, resist it or we, we fail. We sin. We indulge it. As soon as you start dwelling on it, that, that's when you're going down the wrong path. It's right there. When you have an issue in your life and then you're confronted with that issue, if you know it's an issue, then you have to immediately shift gears and go another way. Think about something else. Get, yeah, I got that. I'm moving on. That's not going to bring me satisfaction and it never does. When we indulge sin, a chain reaction follows. And only when our will, our will, sanctions that temptation, the sinful act, only then do consequences come. Only then is it sin. And so our nature inside of us causes us with, to feel longing, feel desire, a feel craving, but craving becomes sinful when it's acted on. 
or even encouraged in our own minds. Yeah, we start thinking that through and how nice that would be. We're going the wrong path. And then he says this, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death, which seems kind of extreme, but what he's painting us this picture, when we give in, we're actually choosing to sin. Why do we sin? Because we want to. So when we give in, we, choose, we can choose the sin. When we give in, we choose the sin, but we can never choose the consequences. That just happens to us. The consequences are always worse than we think when we make the choice. We think we can get away with it. We think we can handle it. We think it won't be so bad. But when we choose to sin, we don't choose the consequences. They happen. So he has this picture of desire. Then that can lead to sin. And then ultimately that sin leads to death. It's separation from God. It's going the way that God isn't. And so wrong desires lead to sin. And then that sin Unless we break it with repentance, it eventually leads us away from God. So these wrong inner desires inside of us can start this course of action. And they demand action. It's one way or the other. Action to resist or action to indulge. It's got to be one or the other because of the passion inside of us. And we indulge by yielding or we resist. When we resist, it brings that endurance that he talked about earlier, talked about even some of that last week, and perseverance and spiritual maturity and spiritual strength, all that when we pass the test. So the, the last question is this, last step, how? So how do we resist wrong desires and avoid sin? How do we do it? James is practical. So, hey, James, how do we pull this off? I get we need to remember this. Got it. It's from the inside. Got it. Hey, we need to know and understand the course of how this is going to happen. Got it. How do we avoid it? How do we resist wrong desires? Well, then we recognize the force to win against temptation, that God is offering us force. He's offering us strength, offering us help. We see that in verse 16. He says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. All right, well, that, that's, that's not as clear maybe as we want it. So specifically... How do we avoid sin? How do we avoid temptation? How do we resist it to not bring sin into our life? Well, here's the first thing. Stop being deceived. We already talked about it a little bit. There's this false promise of satisfaction when we see this bait. And, and that's bad enough, but we paint it in more, in more vivid colors to make it even better in our minds but we, we're not deceived. He's saying every good gift comes from God. Every good gift. God is not withholding good things from us. Everything good ultimately comes from God, but it's only good within God's parameters. And so if it's something that God says is not good or it's a good thing that we've overindulged in outside of God's parameters, then that makes it good. That, that makes it a bad thing. That makes it wrong. So we're saying, hey, don't be deceived. 
That bait will never satisfy. It will never bring you what you think. Some of us has, have lived long enough and have been you know, in, around long enough to get, that's true. We think the bait is gonna satisfy our longing for something. We think we're gonna be squared away then, feel better, move on and, and be successful and satisfied. And it never happens that way. Don't be deceived. That's the first thing. And then he's telling us, hey, and that's the God always has something better. Don't be deceived. Don't settle for second best. God always has something better. Second thing, understand the word of truth. That's what he's talking about here. We call that the gospel. We'll see it in verse 18. And here's what he's saying. The gospel provides us with everything we need to fight against temptation. Just the gospel. Verse 18. In the exercise of his will, God's will, he brought us, talking about believers, forth by the word of truth. That's the gospel. So that we'd be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. You see, we know the gospel, we talk about all the time, that means good news. And the good news for us as human beings, all of us, is that, hey, even though we have this sin nature inside of us, and even though we're prone to always fulfill our desires in a wrong way. God still loves us. And even though God is the ultimate judge and he's righteous and holy and he promises that he will bring justice and he will judge all sin, which is real bad for us because we're all sinners. Even though all that's true, God loves us. And because of his righteousness and his judgment, he's provided a way. And it's a gift through Jesus. Jesus comes... He lives a perfect life. He's tempted, but he does not sin. And then, in his sinlessness, he voluntarily gives up his life. He dies for us so that we can be forgiven. He pays our price. He pays the punishment for our individual sins, and we receive that simply through faith or belief, by trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. It's a gift and it's only through faith. And so that's, what it, that's the gospel. But here's the thing that Christians forget. The gospel's not just for when we become a believer. The truth of the gospel is for us to live out every day in being a believer. Every day we need to remind ourselves we become a believer one time. But every day after that we need to remind ourselves how God loved us. And how God now loves us. And how God loves us in spite of our sin. We've got to remember that. Because if we don't, it messes us up and it causes other issues in our life. He kind of talks about being the first fruits among his creatures. To all the Jewish people hearing James, and James was Jewish, uh, he's writing this, hey, then we become kind of like first fruits. The first fruits was an offering that Jewish people brought in. They would plant their crops, and the first harvest, the best of the first harvest, they would gather and bring it in and offer it as an offering to God. And what James is saying, we as believers, we're kind of like God's first fruits. And what he's telling us is that we as believers should be living out our lives pointing to God's goodness, that we should be living out 
the character of God in our lives, that we should be changed people that other people look and go, oh, look at these guys blazing the trail to God. We're saved by the gospel. We should be reflecting on God's character, be reflecting God's character onto the world, us. Now, here's what happens. Here's what always messes us up with sin. We become a believer. We understand more and more truth from God's word. We know what's right and what's wrong, and that we, even we can think in wrong ways. And so as we start doing that, then temptation comes. It just floats by. We're minding our own business sometimes, and then there it is. And, and then sometimes, if we don't resist, then we indulge that. We start thinking, wow, that would be really nice, and man, that's going to solve my problems, and wow, that looks great, and, and it even looks better than it actually is in our mind. And then we indulge. And then when we do that, that brings guilt. We start feeling guilty. And by the way, why are we feeling guilty at that point? Because we are guilty. You know, why are you feeling guilty? Because you're, you're guilty. You know, you should feel guilty because we're guilty. You know, and so we feel guilty. We're supposed to feel guilty because we are guilty. And then when we feel guilty, because we know we are then we also feel shame. So when we sin, and we know we've done what God said not to do, then we experience guilt and shame, and then that leaves us, and then our, what we ought to do is go back to God, but we don't go back to God because we feel guilt and shame. Because of our guilt and shame, we feel like, well, I can't even talk to God because I just did what God said not to do. So now what am I going to say? And so when we don't talk to God then we, we create a distance from God. God hasn't gone anywhere. We've pulled back from God because of our guilt and shame. And then the more we pull away from God, the more susceptible we are to the next temptation, and then we do it again or we do something else, and then we feel even more guilt and even more shame, and then we pull even further away from God, and that keeps happening and happening, and it's a downward spiral. Do you understand that? Don't do that. Remember the gospel. God loved you when you were just a sinner. And after you sin, and when you feel like you should come back to him, but you kind of don't or you don't have the right or whatever, do you recognize after you fail, God does not love you any less than he did the day before, right? God doesn't love you less. You don't want to come to God. God hasn't gone anywhere. Oh, by the way, your, your sin did not surprise or shock God. Whoa, didn't see that coming. Wow, i got to stay away from that. No, God knows all that. As a matter of fact, Jesus died for all those sins. You've actually been forgiven and cleansed of all your sins before you even do all those sins. That's the gift of salvation. So we, we need to not be deceived. Hey, the bait, we're... It's not going to satisfy. It's not God's best. God has something better. And then we need to remember the gospel, the word of truth. Jesus died for us. Even when we fail, God still loves us. And then third, 
we need to love God more. Because here's the deal. Here's the sad truth. When we sin, we just have to recognize that in that moment, whether it's a thought sin or an action sin, in that moment, especially when we recognize this isn't right, we're choosing to love that sin more than we love God while we're doing that. We're making a choice right there. No, God, you tell me not to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. We're actually loving the sin more than God. So what do we need to do? We need to break the cycle with repentance. We need to recognize, hey, the best gifts are from God, God's way. We need to break the cycle by remembering the gospel. And then, hey, God's already, I've been forgiven for this already. I don't want to keep doing it. That's not license for me to keep doing sin. That's an invitation for me to repent. God, I admit it. What you said is right, and so what I did is wrong because you said it was wrong. And God, I know you love me any, anyway, but I don't want to do this because you love me because I remember the gospel. You died for my sins, so I need your help. And then we need to love God more. As a matter of fact, that's how the whole passage started. I don't know if you caught it, but back in verse 12, it said this, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial, for once he's been approved, he'll receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And then he says, hey, don't be thinking God's tempting you. When we come to God after sin, he's waiting for us. He's wanting us. You know, find it's not even fine because if we're Christians, it's just rediscover the forgiveness that God has for you. Enjoy his comfort. Enjoy closeness of fellowship. Don't shy away. Come to him. Be close with God. Know your sins are, are done. They've been paid for. Repent. Admit them so it's not a barrier. Yeah, I admit it, Lord. But rather than shame and guilt in we're relieved of that because that guilt has been taken away. We've been covered by the blood. We've been washed clean. So move forward in that. The gospel keeps us overwhelmed by his grace. So specifically, James, how do we do it? Don't be deceived. Anything good, it comes from God. Remember the gospel. That keep, keeps us focused on Jesus and remembering the gospel keeps us coming back to him. And then third, love God more. Love God more. You see, when we break that cycle, that downward cycle, and we say, oh God, that, that was wrong. I know. God, I'm admitting that. God, I thank you that you have forgiven me. But Lord, I want to honor you in my life because of what you've done for me. It breaks the cycle. And it then causes us to fall more deeply in love with Jesus. And that then strengthens us. And it allows us, it gives us power to endure in our life. And so that's what we do when we sin. That's how we respond. And that makes us stronger for next time. Everything good is from you, God. Not these other places. You. You've loved me first. You've loved me even as a sinner. You love me first. And you still love me. God, help me love you more. And when you fail, 
when you fail, remember, God doesn't love you any less. He's waiting. He's inviting you to come back to him. So what? So you can experience the joy of your salvation. Get rid of the guilt and shame. Not because you're not guilty, you are, but you've been cleansed. And experience the joy of your salvation. That's what David was praying about in the Old Testament. Experience the joy of your forgiveness, the joy of your cleansing, the joy of knowing that he's still inviting you into his presence, that he wants to do life with you every day, every moment, even then. It changes your life forever. We're gonna, I'm going to pray. And we're going to close our service with a song and and as we do that, maybe, you know, just maybe, uh, this is not really a classic kind of old school invitation song. We don't do this all that much, but, you know, that's, that's the way I grew up. But while we're singing, death was arrested, that cycle was broken, that I would just like you to use this for a time. You need to come down. Um, hey, we all get that we're all sinners, right? We don't have to pretend here at church. We have all got issues. We're all messed up. And God loves us anyway, right? Hey, if you need this time, this next song, I invite you to come forward. If you want to do some business with God, maybe some situation you're in, maybe some trial that you're facing, maybe some issue, some internal thing that you're caught up in that you want to sort out and just use this as a time. Hey, God, I'm back with you. I'm admitting it and I want to follow you with my life. I want you to have the freedom to do that. Let's stand for prayer. Father God, we thank you for your goodness and the joy that we have in your salvation, even in trials, even in temptations, even when we fail. Lord, that we can come back to you in our guilt and shame and feel your cleansing and your forgiveness and be reminded of your truth. And most of all, that you still love us. And help us, Lord, in those moments to grow, to love you even more and more and more. And that we will be stronger and better equipped to face the next temptation that comes in our lives. God, help us keep centered on you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.